If it's more turnkey, you don't have much upside. You can cross your fingers, hope it appreciates in value, but unless you're doing a value-add business plan, you don't have much upside. On the syndication, you do have more of that upside because that is a value-add business plan. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, got two questions for you, and this is for my fix and flippers out there. One, are your financing costs eating away your bottom line? And two, are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by reducing your loan payments to the bank or private lender? Of course you are, right? You're always looking to maximize the potential of your deal. So here's a solution. We got a solution for you through the crowdfunding platform, Patch of Land. If you're a loyal best ever listener, you know Patch of Land. They've been on the show many times. They've sponsored the show many times. They're back for more because they love you. They want to help you out. They want to add value to your life. And here's how they're going to do it. They have a solution to your financing issue of financing costs eating away from your bottom line. And they want to help you reduce your loan payment to the bank. So here we go. Patch of Land offers a fix and flip loan program that only charges interest on the funds that have been dispersed as opposed to tradition, the traditional model of lenders charging interest on the whole loan amount at the beginning. You save a lot of money this way, and it can be misleading when you get your terms quoted to you by the lender at a particular rate if they charge all the interest up front versus upon distributions. Patch of Land's got a document that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper to educate yourself on questions you should ask the lender. Regardless if you go with Patch of Land, you've got to get this document to educate yourself on the questions to ask your lender to make sure you're getting the best financing terms. The document's at patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. That's patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Patch of Land, they can close in as little as seven days and they can help you through this program save thousands of dollars on your deals, make more money, and uh, have a better business and grow your fix and flip business. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And we got Theo Hicks with us. How you doing, sir? Doing good, Joe. How you doing? I am doing very well. How's Puppy doing? <laughs> uh, puppy is doing well. For everyone who's watching the video or following via Facebook Live, got Jack with us, a ferocious 13-pound Yorkie. And we're ready to go. Follow-along Friday is... Talk about what we're doing, mm-hmm. but it's always with an eye towards how we can help the best ever listeners based on the stuff that we've learned along the way. So let's dig in. What do we got? All right. So the main topic for today is going to be discussing the pros and cons of active investing versus passive investing. So we'll start off with a list, just in general, the pros and cons of active versus passive investing, and then maybe talk about personally what we believe is the best investing approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think let's start with some context. So this question comes up on occasion when I speak to potential new investors who are looking to invest passively, but they're also considering, instead of investing passively, they're considering putting their money towards a single family house and then building their own rental portfolio. Mm -hmm. And I get occasionally the question of, well, what are your thoughts on the pros and cons of investing in single families with my own stuff versus multifamily passively with you? 
that's why we came up with this topic for today because I think it's going to be relevant to some of the best ever listeners. So there's pros and cons as with anything in life. There's advantages and disadvantages. And as objectively as I can look at it, because obviously I partner with investors and we buy apartment communities together and that's the main way I make money. But I also have invested in single family homes and I personally do own three single family homes. I've owned them. The first one I bought was in 2009. So what are we, 2017? Eight Eight years. years Holy cow. I've owned a home for eight years and I have three now. I don't buy homes anymore. The real estate investments I do do are all in our deals. I just want to enjoy the profits along with my investors in the deal. So I just invest my own money in our deals. So I don't do single family homes. So here are some pros and cons for single family home investing. First, for... Before you get yeah. okay, that's one question. So the context is passive investing would be passively putting your money into like a syndication type deal, mm-hmm. whereas active investing would be building your own rental portfolio no matter how you're doing that. For example, for yours is kind of like quasi-passive because, yeah, you're doing it yourself, but you also have the management company mm-hmm. handling it, whereas other active investors might be someone who's actually doing all of it themselves. Yeah, you're right. So there's different <laughs> degrees of active and passive investing. So I will define what I'm considering active investing, and then I'll talk about the pros okay. and cons. I'm considering active investing if you are buying a single-family house and you have a property management company overseeing it. Because generally speaking, investors I come across during these conversations, they're not looking to be the property manager. So pros, single family homes with a property manager would be you control it. With the passive investing in multifamily syndication or other syndications, you don't control it. You're a limited partner and you really have to put a lot of trust in the people running the operation. Now there's other checks and balances along the way like having a preferred return, which if in the preferred return scenario, you must get a preferred return annually, plus at the sale, you must have an annual preferred return returned to you, plus your money back before the general partnership gets any share of the profit. So there's incredible alignment of interest there, but nonetheless, you don't control the deal the general partners do. So a single family home, you have control. Secondly, with the single family home, you have the ability to influence the business plan should you see something that needs to be updated. For example, maybe you're in an appreciating market and you want to pump in some more money into the property to renovate, increase rents, which likely you won't do if you're passive and you got a property management company. Likely you'll just buy it and pretty much forget about it and click the money. But that's another advantage. And we had one more. We had, when we were doing notes for this, we had you can potentially make more money. The reason why we talked about that before is because if you buy a single family home, then you can renovate it and this is if it's not a turnkey. You can renovate it, increase the value of it, and then do a cash out refinance, take that money, and then roll it into something larger and, and continue to scale. That's not passive unless you have the right team in place, a property management company and a real estate agent to help you pull that off. Because 
you're going to have to oversee the renovation of a project and that can be time consuming. Mm -hmm. But if you have the right property management company in place and you have the right real estate agent or you have a way of finding the deals, then a really good investment is to find a distressed house, renovate it, get an increased value, cash out refinance, get all that cash back out. So you basically have no money in it put a mortgage on it, still cash flow, and then buy another property with the proceeds from that forced appreciation. Mm -hmm. That's an incredible business plan. It's just more active. And it's something that requires time, effort, and there's a greater degree of risk. But if you're wanting to, I'd say, be on par with the type of projected profits and profits that we're returning in apartment syndication, then that would be the way to go. It's just gonna require more of your effort and you might make more money doing the single family home front if you do the value add deal and you're as actively involved there. Mm -hmm. Another active pro, if we're talking about it strictly as single family versus investing in apartment syndication, and correct me if I'm wrong, but with the amount of money you would need or the net worth you would mm. need to enter would be a lot lower. Yep. So if you're just starting off, it'd be easier to do the single family, buying it yourself, maybe putting down, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 grand, and then but all you need is to have that money. You need to have a huge net worth. Mm -hmm. And then being active with the property management company doing it. Whereas if you want to do a syndication, you need to be accredited, have a certain net worth. Yep. So that's another pro versus this con. It's not really a pro versus con. It's just reality. Where you, where you, yeah, it's just where you are in your business and your life. It's a great point. And I didn't mention that because the individuals who I'm speaking to are already accredited. Okay. And this is more of a accredited conversation, but you're... Totally right, and I'm glad you mentioned it. If you don't have the net worth or you're not accredited, then yeah, it's really a moot point because you only have one option. Exactly. Unless you get into a syndication. There are syndications that you can invest in if you are a sophisticated investor. We don't do that with our investments. We only do it with accredited investors for various reasons. Okay, so what about the cons for active investing? Well... There could be more risk involved if you are doing the value add approach because I can't, well actually I can't imagine because I did it and I flopped on it. When I was in New York, so I mentioned I have three homes. Well, I used to have four. I sold the fourth because it was terrible. <laughs> and we talked about this in, yeah. in previous episodes a while ago. From a high level Cliff Notes version, I did really well on homes one, two, three, but then the fourth house I bought for $35,000 and I thought I was gonna put 5,000 into it. The first three homes were pretty much turnkey-ish, less than $1,000 to move in. This fourth one bought from a wholesaler needed $5,000 worth of work. I was managing it remotely from New York City. The house is in Fort Worth, Texas, and the $5,000 repair cost after I closed turned into $15,000 repair costs. After renovations, it rented for less than what it was renting for prior to renovations. It wow. was a hot mess. And there was risk involved. That's the only home I lost money on. Actually, I, I might have broke even because the homes appreciated like crazy, but it wasn't a good use of my money. That's for sure because time value of money is terrible. So there is a greater risk if you don't have the right team members in place. Now, because compare that to a system that's already rocking and rolling, and you're plugging into it, you're investing passively into a system that has proven to work versus you coming up with creating your own system. And then I'd say another disadvantage to single family homes 
versus passively investing would be the time commitment. Yep. Time commitment, for sure, you will be overseeing the property management company somewhat. I mean, I don't spend a lot of time at all with single family homes once I've purchased them, but there's a lot of research and time involved in visiting the market, et cetera, if you don't live there, prior to the purchase. Once you purchase a single family home, if you have a good management company, you should be pretty hands off. -off. I'm incredibly hands off with my single family homes, but leading up to that point, there's a lot of time involved there. And lastly, I'll say, at least from my experience, I have three single family homes and they net about 300 bucks a month. Per? Per. Okay. Per. Three, 900 bucks a month I am getting in my bank account net from those homes. And the problem though is that when a home becomes vacant, like one of them did about a year ago, I think last summer, $5,000. To turn it over. Turn it over, fix it up, repair the stairs. I don't think we put in new appliances. Just get the puppy ready. Plus, I didn't even factor in the amount of time or lost revenue for not having a resident. I didn't factor that in. But yeah, $5,000, that takes up all the profits for that one property for sure for a year. And that bleeds into another property's profits for the year. So when you got turnovers, you're not making the 300 bucks or so a house that you project. And in fact, it could wipe away your profits. Whereas if you passively invest in a multifamily or if you buy a multifamily property, then you have one turnover, okay, that's terrible, but you've got all these other units to support the income stream and keep things healthy. Yeah. You start with singles and now you're multi, so what are your thoughts? I started with the duplex. It's not my definition of active investing, it's just what I did was 100% act. I was managing them myself, mm. I was doing all of it. and. I was talking about this before, but while I was doing it, because again, I mentioned last week I'm putting in a property management company, and while I was doing it, obviously since I was doing it, I was convinced myself that, oh yeah, this is fine, I enjoy this, I like this, but one of the biggest things that you had to take into account is the amount of time you're spending on it, mm-hmm. and is that time worth more or less than what you would pay an actual property management company? And based on how often I had to go to my properties for my first duplex, it would not have made sense for me to get a property management company because I did a bunch of renovations up front. Essentially, did like a fix and flip, mm-hmm. but kept it and rented it. So after a couple of small issues in the beginning, I was never even going to the property at all. For these ones, and it could be because there's more units, there's yeah. 12 of them, but man, I feel like I was over there a couple times a week, every single week. And so if I you know, calculate the amount of hours I'm spending over there, the drive time, the gas, it was maybe five, six, seven hundred bucks that I was spending on that. And so that is basically exactly what I'm going to spend for a property management company, yeah. minus all that mental annoyance of having to go over there and checking my phone constantly. So I think that it's all pros for passive. From my definition of passive would be kind of your active, which is having a property manager mm-hmm. and be managing the property manager. But I was actually talking to someone the other day that I know that lives in my neighborhood who is wanting to invest and he was kind of saying the exact same thing. He was looking at properties and he was wanting to buy a fourplex or a duplex just to kind of start off and then manage it himself or even put a property management under it. But he was saying he had issues actually finding the deal himself. So that could be another oh, yeah. pro of, of passive investing is I guess you need to find the syndicator, but you don't have to find the deal. You don't have to make sure that it's actually a good deal. 
So what he's going to do is he's going to just plug into... I think he's going to plug into Memphis Invest. I don't know how he found Chris them. Chris But I mentioned that. I, I'm like, oh, I know. Chris spoke at a conference I went to. Great guy. He's going to plug into that. Basically, our conversation right now, going through the pros and the cons of active versus passive, and how he just had a kid, he doesn't have time to mm-hmm. deal with managing himself, mm-hmm. and kind of based on the conversations we've had about how big of a headache it could be to manage them yourself. And again, it depends on if you like it or not. Mm-hmm. If you actually like going to the property and fixing it up, or dealing with the tenant issues. I'm sure some people do enjoy that, so by all means do that. But if you don't enjoy it, then I definitely recommend going the passive route, which is what I'm going to do, and then what he is going to do as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've talked about doing your own property management versus hiring a management company, and I love your approach for the time and how much is your time worth. And there's something to be said about getting that experience firsthand if you're going to build a property management company because that's invaluable and I think that you can make a case for investing your time into managing so that you can build something later. But if you don't plan on building your own property management company later, then I say always start out Mm -hmm. with a third party management company. And then we've talked about before, always budget in management even if you do initially self-manage because if you switch it up, then your money's going to be away. Yeah, and I do agree with what you said. I think that it is good to at least manage maybe your first property by yourself just so you know what it's like. Even if you aren't going to build a property management company in the future, you'll know what the property manager is actually mm-hmm. doing so you can kind of figure out if they're the right fit or not. But for me, I already did that for my first two properties, so I should have just put these 12 under management right away. Yeah. If I wasn't starting a management company, I would not manage it myself because my first property, if I was managing, trying to learn the laws around what you can and can't say and the leasing agreement, the legal contract with the resident, I wouldn't mess with that, but to each his own. Let's take one giant step back. When you look at real estate, ultimately it's about capital preservation and it's about enjoying the upside of real estate that it affords you. And then it's getting the tax advantages. It's an incredibly advantageous investment for tax purposes. When you look at capital preservation, I'd say investing in a single family home that's pretty much turnkey with a third party management company, that's pretty good from a capital preservation standpoint. You've got an asset and assuming it's cash flowing from day one, you're gonna be pretty good. You're not likely going to lose that. 2008 hits, it sucks, your values decrease, but if you're still cash flowing, and you have some reserve capital for a roof that needs to be replaced during 2008, then you're fine. Just ride it out and your property has now doubled since 2008 in value. So on the other end of the spectrum, passively investing in apartment communities, you've got the same risk mitigation set up because you're buying an actual asset and you have ownership in an entity that owns that asset that currently cash flows. So you've got similar risk mitigation levels there from enjoying the upside that's where the roads fork there's a fork in the road because on the upside potential with the single family home if it's more turnkey you don't have much upside you can cross your fingers hope it appreciates in value but unless you're doing a value add business plan you don't have much upside on the syndication you do have more of that upside because that is a value add business plan So I'd say syndication wins there. The first point, they're about equal. And the third point, tax advantages, I'd say they're equal because 
as long as a syndication group like ours passes the depreciation from the property through to the investors and everyone shares in the depreciation of the property, then you're going to get the tax advantages just like you would single family house. So that's why I'd say two points are equal, the capital preservation and taxes, and then the ones where passively investing in syndication wins would be the upside potential unless you do a value add deal, but then that increases the risk, so then syndication wins on the risk front. Okay. Awesome. Sweet. So transition, the updates? Closing the day. There you are, yeah. Closing the day. Yeah, and today we're recording this on Wednesday, so for the investors who are on the deal who listen to this episode, yes, we closed on Wednesday, not (laughs) the day you're actually hearing this episode on the podcast on Friday. So closing the day. Closing usually has unnecessary drama, so we plan on closing probably at 4.59 p.m. Central (laughs) Standard Time for whatever reason. That just seems to always be the case. Closing the day on 304 unit in Louisville, Texas, and that will put us in value of property that Ashcroft has. That will put us about $250 million worth of property, so a quarter of a billion dollars. And additionally, or on a separate note, Tomorrow morning, I'm flying with Colleen to Raleigh, North Carolina, and we're attending something called Gratitude Training, which may or may not be a cult. I'm not sure (laughs) yet. My friends, and he's also an investor with me, and I played flag football with him, and great guy. He's told me about this Gratitude Training, and... My spidey senses are tingling a little bit based on what I've seen the video. I'm not quite sure. I'm either going to really enjoy it and get a lot out of it, or I'm going to have a darn good story to tell <laughs> about some crazy cult. So if I come back with a shaved head and tattoos from that's, that's head to thing, toe, yeah. <laughs> then you know which direction we went. Perfect. That's going to be fun. What about you? What's going on? So I'm moving. You're moving. To Tampa, Florida. So if anyone listening is from Tampa, it's real estate investing, definitely reach out because I'll want to tap in and plug into that investor network down there. I wasn't 100% confirmed last week, but we know we're doing it now. My wife got promotion. Same company. So we're moving down to Tampa. We're going actually on Saturday, Sunday this weekend to go check out properties. It's going to be really nice. they got pools, maybe a, a water view, but probably not the water view because we don't want to go insane and kind of spend a bunch of money on a house that we could use that money to invest in. But from a real estate perspective, as I mentioned last week, I hired a property management company. And the guy that I hired, I've known him before. And actually, I think I met him before he started the company. And I remember I talked to him about kind of what his company is going to do. And he had a lot of interesting tactics that I wanted to kind of share with everyone who might potentially want to start a private management company somewhere in the country because this might be common sense. But when I heard this, I was like, wow, these are really good ideas. One of them, and this is more for people that are active investors and they're managing their own property. And I wish I would have done this before. And it's such common sense that I didn't think about it. But some context. For me, whenever an issue happened, the property is about 20 minutes from my house. So a tenant would say, hey, my toilet's clogged or whatever. So I'd drive over there, look at the issue, see if I could fix it myself. If I couldn't, I'd call someone and I'd drive back home and schedule a time. I'd drive all the way back again to meet them there because I had the keys to let them in. Yep. So instead of doing that, what I should have done is I should have put a lockbox on all the properties, put all the keys in that lockbox, maybe put in the back or like, because mm. uh, you can put it on the front door, but I think that'd be a little tacky. But I have a lockbox so that if an issue goes wrong, I can say, you know, hey, contractor, can you go check out this issue at this property? It's unit one. Here's the lockbox in the back. Here's the code. Mm-hmm. Go in there and do it. And obviously, you have to know the person and trust them because you want random people walking through your property. But just the time saving from that alone 
would be mm-hmm. amazing. And I didn't really understand how, if I had a property management company, if I'd just give them my keys and they'd have to like, coordinate with the contractors to get in the property. I just didn't understand how that would work. So just overall, having a lockbox for the mm-hmm. locks on your property. Also, and I just thought of this right now, I had one resident reach out to me and told me that his key wouldn't work or that he lost his key or I can't remember exactly what it was. But if I had a lockbox there, he ended up figuring it out. But if he couldn't figure it out, instead of me having to go there with my set of keys and try to get in there, I could have said, hey, there's a lockbox. And then obviously once he opened it up, I had to change the code. Makes sense, yeah. Oh, here's another one. When I was reading through his contract, I was like, oh, this is brilliant. And so if you start a property management company, I think we'll start a property management company, and you're also an investor too, which is probably what you're going to be if you're listening to this podcast, in your contract, write it out that if the person who's, who you're managing, uh, the property owner, decides to sell the property, they have the first rights to buy the property. Mm. So obviously maybe you can't buy it right now, but eventually at some point if you are continue to manage that property for a couple of years and they decide to sell it, you may or may not get like a really good price on it. That's kind of not the part, but you have like an extra deal pipeline of deals coming in that the one that you're managing. I read that and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. that's really smart. And I don't know how that first rider refusal actually comes to fruition because if, if they want to sell it for 100000 and they don't like you and you say, well, we have in the contract, first rider refusal, I'll buy it for hundred. they They're like, eh, actually, I want to sell it for $5 billion. It's like, yeah. okay, well, I'm not going to pay $5 billion. All right, well, sorry. And then they sell it for $100,001. I'm sure there's a way around it, or, yeah. or I'm sure attorneys can figure out a bulletproof way. But I like it conceptually. And even if those situations happen, the way I was kind of, because I, I thought the same thing. I'm just like, I don't understand how this would even mm-hmm. would work. Because what if I want to sell it for you know 200 and he's only willing to buy for 150? But again, I think if half or like even five percent of the um, if it actually goes through, that's still a better yeah. Oh yeah, than the direct absolutely or like that. Yeah, I was thinking worst case scenario, but generally. People are good, and then it would work. Cool. So I've got four things total. The third thing, again, is common sense, and this is an issue of running into with a plumber, is that instead of having them come and kind of like do the work and then charge you afterwards, or just kind of just throw a price out there for what they're going to do, negotiate an hourly rate so you know exactly how much money, an hour late for their labor. So negotiate exactly how much money, if they come to your property, you're going to pay them X amount of dollars per hour, no matter what the problem is. Plus, obviously, whatever materials there are. Hmm. So instead of having them one time, they come and it's they're there for half an hour and they charge you hundred bucks, and they come again for three hours and then it's two hundred dollars, and it's like not consistent. You can't really track or predict how much money you're going to spend for how long the project's going to take. And so that's something I didn't do. And for the smaller jobs, that became an issue because they're only there for 15, 20 minutes, but they were charging me insane hourly rate. Whereas mm-hmm. if they're doing a larger project, then it was like an amazing deal. But usually there's more smaller projects than larger ones, like unclogging a toilet. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. So I thought that was something else that he does. What's a good hourly rate that's fair to you and them? He charges $50 an hour. Plumbers? For his contractor who does everything. Okay. Got it. Plumbing, electric? So uh, yeah, so... Obviously, if you had to break into the walls and like replace all the electric, yeah. they'd hire someone else. Yeah. But for the smaller, like if electrical outlets lose yeah. or if you need to replace an electrical outlet, this guy 50 does, bucks does an all hour. stuff. So 50 bucks an hour. Got it. And then obviously materials as well. And I think... That's your property manager? That's what... Yeah, that's what he charges. That's what he charges. So do you think he makes a profit on that $50 an hour? Maybe he pays the guy Probably. 35 or something? Okay. But to the customer, you... 
you pay fifty dollars an hour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I would structure it on his end. I'm not one hundred percent sure, it. but that's probably what you would want to do. You want to negotiate yeah. the price with the contractor, yeah. and then charge ten, right, twenty percent more. But based on our conversation, I don't think that's what he does. But that's a good idea. I would, from his perspective. Yeah. yeah. And then finally, just for his technique for finding customers, it's actually similar to a technique to actually find deals. Mm-hmm. So you know, people will go on Zillow or Craigslist and call the for rent ads mm-hmm. and say, hey, you know, I don't want to rent your property, I want to buy it. And then for him, he would say, I want to property manage your property. You already know that he has a pain point. His mm-hmm. property is vacant. He's listing it himself. And so your in is going to be finding him a high quality tenant for his property. And then you've got him hooked. I love it. That's smart. So yeah, so put a lockbox on the front door with all the keys. Put in the contract that if the owner wants to sell, you have the first right to buy it. Negotiate an hourly rate with your handyman. And then to find clients, go on the credit list and things like that, the for rent ads, and reach out and offer to find them a tenant in return for their business. Those are great tips. I'm glad you shared those. Thank you. Cool. So those are my updates. Uh, so there's a couple of miscellaneous things. Best ever conference coming up here in a couple of months. Yeah, we've got Terrell Fletcher has been announced as a guest, and he'll be doing a keynote. He is a former San Diego, oh, no, Los Angeles Chargers. Los oh, Angeles Chargers? Did they change their name? Yeah, they're in Los Angeles now. Hmm, I know that. <laughs> yeah, well, most of Los Angeles didn't either, if you see the stands. But Los Angeles Chargers, former NFL football player who played for the Chargers, and he's dynamite. And you probably recognize his name through the podcast, too, because he was interviewed on the show. Really looking forward to having him at the conference. And we have a couple other new people, too. You can check out at besteverconference.com. That's coming up pretty soon, what, February 9th and 10th, Mm -hmm. I think, in Denver, Colorado. And then I also wanted to mention to go to the Best Ever Facebook group on Facebook, obviously. And that's where we have interactions and conversations with the... We're trying to build out a real estate community where people can ask questions, tell their story, provide tips and techniques for how to improve their real estate business. And I know that we post a couple of questions a week to kind of promote engagement. And so make sure you check that out on Facebook, Best Ever Community Group. Cool. And then finally, make sure you go on iTunes, subscribe for your opportunity to be the review of the week. This week, the name is MP3IEF. I'm not sure what that means, but he or she said... The Best Ever Show is an excellent, to-the-point resource for investing in real estate. I really appreciate the fact that episodes are not too long, stay on point, and are released daily. Joe does an excellent job at sharing his knowledge with the world, and we are better because of it. I appreciate that, and thank you, Theo, for sharing your knowledge with the world on Fridays. I love those tips that you gave. And thank you, MP3IEF. I appreciate (laughs) that. We are also on Spotify now. If you have Spotify, then you can subscribe through Spotify, so it's nice and easy to do that if iTunes is too cumbersome, which sometimes it can be. So thank you for that, and thanks for giving the review. And please, everyone, if you haven't done a review, please do so. It helps us attract more high-quality guests so that you have more high-quality conversations to listen to. Thanks, everyone. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan, and conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. 
needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com.